Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice with your host, Marina. Hello and welcome back to Vice and Easy. I hope you all had a great long weekend and hopefully you had a great time getting back to work because I know all of us are struggling just a little bit. Welcome back to Vice and Easy this week because this week we are going to be breaking down season three, episode 14 entitled Cuba Libre. Crockett and Tubbs go undercover to move on a major Miami dealer and stumble into a runaway paramilitary group with blood in their sights and plans of their own for the deal money. Now, we have a very interesting cold open. There's some things I didn't really love about the cold open, but I do love the slow motion shots of the Miami skyline with Bob Seger's Miami playing in the background. And we are back at the Deerfield Estate, if you'll remember from the end of the episode Bushido. This looks completely different because they've done it up with pink lights outside. They're having this big party. And then we see a dinghy roll up and they're in gas masks and scuba suits, wetsuits. They take her to security guard. And I did try to get this as a gif. I am trying to upload it now as we speak, where they one person unzips their suit and shimmies out with completely dry hair, completely dry white sequin dress and walks towards the party. We also see Crockett and Tubbs there, undercover, of course, as Burnett and Cooper. Now, (laughs) before I get to the clip of Don Johnson hitting on someone in high school, which, you know, not really out of character for him, here's a little bit of Bob Seger's Miami. It is actually like a very nice, meaningful song when you listen to the lyrics. But when you're watching this episode, they're doing, I want to say like stop and go motion. I can't describe it properly, but everything is slowed down frame by frame because you get this shot of Crockett turning his head and it doesn't really thematically work. For me, my I just I couldn't really get into it. it. Kind of took me out of the moment as it kind of pans around this party. And I guess maybe the juxtaposition is there that Miami is a safe haven and has been a safe haven historically for so many refugees and people fleeing instability and war and famine. And then we're just seeing the one percent, this excessive life of people snorting cocaine we actually get again the gif is uploading we'll see the check is in the mail you know (laughs) of a woman dipping her long red acrylic fingernail into a small pile a small pile of cocaine and putting in someone's nose and yeah i guess or maybe they just won another miami song and this was the first one they found by bob seger and the silver bullet band but who knows but speaking of don johnson this is uh Oh, sorry, Crockett, because he's, is he really acting in this scene? <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you learn to talk like that? High school? I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. <laughs> okay, to be fair, he breaks away from the conversation, not because she says that, but because this pillow, this billow, not pillow, this billow of smoke 
comes right into his face. It turns out it's another Metro Vice cop trying to get his attention. So as he jokes about whether or not this guy has fire insurance, he hands her the shot glass, which is a little weird. Did you just find out this girl is 15 years old? To be fair, empty. Then walks over, meets with him and Tubbs about what's going on. They're talking about this guy named Rojas that they're all wanting to get close to. And this is the reason why they're all here. And at this party, Rojas, the dealer that they're after, invites Crockett and Tubbs as Burnett and Cooper up to the bedroom to make a deal. Now, I had a lot of fun taking screenshots of this decor. You have crazy, beautiful neon lights in the hallway. And then the bedroom is really styled, interestingly. I really appreciate the pewter blue, like they're bright blue bed sheets as they go make this deal. However, their deal is thwarted quite early when, remember the guys from the dinghy and the gas masks and scoop scoots, they are all upstairs and they're asking Rojas, not nicely, to access the safe to get the money at gunpoint and Rojas can't do it. However, the other Metro vice cop knows that something's amiss. He also saw the girl that we saw in the white secret dress turn down towards the strap of her dress and say something so he knows that she's relaying information back to someone else. He goes upstairs, knocks on the door, and thinks of actually a super genius escape plan that I hadn't thought of. Yo, Burnett! Someone's looking for you, man. I think they scratched your car. And unfortunately, he gets shot while outside the door. While they're freaking out, they also shoot Rojas. And as the door opens, the cop that was shot, I guess, had his finger on the trigger or is still somewhat alive, fires a shot, distracts our scuba assailants who also, one of them had to be talked out of killing the security guard outside. So this was not supposed to be in the plan. This was just supposed to be a ripoff. This was not supposed to be a killing. So we already can see a little bit of discontent within this group. Crockett and Tubbs are able to fire. They shoot one of them while the others escape. And then as Crockett goes outside to try to follow them, looking through the window, he sees, Crockett says it in the show, I cannot remember what they're called, but they're like the prong that you can use to climb up out of water. Like, oh, it's in all these old super hero shows and comic books where you shoot it up and it hooks on to the railing and you can climb up. Oh my God, it's so embarrassing. Hopefully I'll find it within the episode. But with that, the cold open ends. Then the next scene, we are back in the scene as Zwitek is joking around with an incredibly handsome Metro Dade cop that the search warrant is coming, right? As he's trying to get into Rojas's trunk. Oh my God. <laughs> Rojas's trunk. <laughs> oh my God, that was so embarrassing, but I'm going to leave that in. I tried to edit it out. I was like, you know what? That's too good. That has to stay. Oh my god. So as Zwitek is opening up Rojas's trunk, he obviously finds 
a crap ton of money. Now, why wouldn't it be in the safe? Zwitek has the perfect answer. How'd you know it wasn't in the safe? Show me a dealer who keeps cash in his safe, and I'll show you one who pays his taxes. Well, very true. Zwitek's definitely right about that one. Now, as Crockett is calling in to get the $400,000 of investigative funds so that he can still make a deal with the guys that were after Rojas. Basically, what they want to do is create this scenario that they're the ones who took the money after they fled, using a little bit of leverage in order to get these guys to meet with them again. They meet with the fallen cop's old partner, and the partner was also supposed to be there that night, but he was an anniversary dinner with his wife. And he says he doesn't know exactly who could have been behind it, but they do have an informant or a snitch down at the country club that they could talk to. And so after they get this kid, basically take him into the car, which is very funny. Again, the GIF is uploading, check is in the mail of Tubbs, the valet, and Crockett just crammed together in the valet, kind of freaking out. You also got to see, I try, try, tried my best to get the best picture I could of this kid's outfit. He has the white jacket, the blue undershirt, and then tons and tons and tons of gold chains with the curly mullet. However, he didn't think anything like this would happen. He didn't expect it to be a hit. He thought it was just going to be an old-fashioned ripoff. And the guy that he was talking to, Victor Vasquez, definitely has intense training. The dude had me map out every room in the house, the grounds. Like he was planning some kind of D-Day, you know? Super careful. That's why I figured nobody was going to get hurt. I swear, if I thought that anybody was going to get hurt, come Save on. Save it. So that does make sense. I could also see someone wanting intricate blueprints and plans for a murder. But in this case, I can also see it being a way to avoid any casualties or any collateral in what they just wanted is they wanted Rojas in order for him to open the safe. They just wanted what was inside the safe. And it was the other guy who put everything in disarray by killing a cop and by killing Rojas. So at least the snitch talk. So he also named names. He named Vister Vasquez as the main guy he was talking to. And his partner's name was Zamora. So now they have a little bit more to go off of. However, back at OCB, Trudy is punching in Victor Vasquez's name into the system and it's locked. They can't access the jacket. She also pronounced it Victor Vasquez. And then there's Vasquez uh, Vasquez, lots of different pronunciations this episode, but I'm just going to say Victor Vasquez, or just Vasquez. Now, Zamora, they couldn't really find anything on him either. When Trudy was able to access his file, she just saw, you know, basic run-in-the-mill stuff. Like, you know, protesting, which, you know, makes sense since he is the son of Cuban refugees in Miami, born in America. He was born in America. His parents were refugees from Cuba. So that does make sense. So two deaths doesn't really fit with either of their profiles. Crockett was trying to think outside the box when he asked Zwitek to call up an old contact to see if they can pull the jacket 
on Victor Vasquez. Stan. Not now, 25. Listen, I need a favor. Later, Sonny. Listen, it's for the Pedroza case. You remember that girl you used to date that worked over in the Justice Building and uh, personnel? Roberta? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Why don't you go bowl a couple of frames with her tonight and ask her if she'll let you take a peek at the jacket on Victor Vasquez. Rock at my office five minutes. Yes, sir. Huh? What do you say? Come on. Uh, That's not it, Sonny. What? What happened? She dumped you? He. What? Roberta was Robert before the operation. So what? You still ought to be able to get a date with her. (laughs) Now, that meeting that Castillo was calling Crockett for, guess who it is with? I know. I know. My lovely, loyal listeners, you may be shocked to find out that it is a federal agent that is coming to wink, wink, assist with this case. And since we've seen this play out before, let's figure out, let's just guess how this is going to go. But now we meet Agent Slade, counterterrorism unit. He is the one that is blocking the file from being accessed on Vasquez for the reason that they go way back. Got a good idea. Of course, we'd have a better one if you'd let us see the file. Well, let me save you the trouble. The guy walked on water for us back in 61. Vasquez fought at the Bear Pigs. Yeah, and we must have dropped him a half a dozen times into the mountains outside of Havana. And lots of other stuff and lots of other Latin American elsewheres. The guy's a hero. Well, so you want to tell me why a hero is uh, making hits on drug dealers? I'm here to tell you it wasn't him. We heard a different story. Pedroza's informant, Flores. Yeah, 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 your lieutenant told me. One informant's word. And 400 grand cash. Now, I cut out a large chunk of this clip just because it's very long. Crockett mentions that that 400K could buy a lot of party favors for Gamma 37, thereby prompting Slade to answer whether or not it's still in session because... Victor Vasquez sounded familiar to Crockett. He asked our snitch. Obviously, the snitch wouldn't have known. Also, I thought Gamma 37 was real, and I was Googling, and I was like, oh, it's just made up. So it's like the battalion that, on the American side, during the Bay of Pigs. And then just kind of gets a little bit more hostile. They're really not buying what this Fed is trying to sell. And Castillo comes in clutch. Crime has been committed in our city. We're gonna investigate. You wanna pull an injunction, we'll fight it. Castillo, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. That's the end of discussion. Love that he's standing up for Crockett and Tubbs in this situation. Also, I like the Jan Hammer use of Russian story from Bushido. I like that, you know, any. Castillo-centric scene. We're getting a little throwback to a Castillo-centric episode directed by Edward James Olmos. Now, Vasquez gets a call. He gets a call from Sonny Burnett himself. While Vasquez is out on the boat, then he goes to meet up with Zamora. Zamora and him look quite opposite, diametrically opposite, 
so to speak. He's Vesca's a little bit older, more refined, where we have Zamora just kind of younger, a little bit more emotional, as we saw at Deerfield Estate, quick to the draw. And they don't agree on a lot of things. And so basically just kind of like give you a little bit more background that Crockett has reached out to Vesquez, trying to meet him. So when they meet up, and then surprisingly after they meet up, guess who is found shot dead in the front seat of a car? Why, it's our valet driver, our little snitch. Then we get an overhead aerial shot of this beautiful island swamp that apparently, I've never seen it, I know, I'm sorry, is the intro to Rainbow Connection from the Muppet movie. (laughs) I know the song, Rainbow Connection. (laughs) I did see someone at Trivia, no, not at Trivia, at Karaoke do all the different parts of Rainbow Connection. It was amazing. Probably one of the best performances I've ever seen because they're doing all the different Muppet voices. So this B-roll footage that they aboard from the Muppet movie, uh, amazing shot. But now we are on the ground, kind of like a tropical, it looks a little jungly. You can just tell Colin, it's definitely like in the Keys, a little bit south, but like a little bit thicker. Vegetation, trees, leaves, grass, so forth. We see a bunch of men suited up in like fatigues, training, running around with guns. And this is where we can further see the divide between Vasquez and Zamora. Who cares? It means nothing. You're wrong. And this whole operation is getting too complicated. Oh, then let me simplify it. If I don't get the money in the next two days, I won't know the limousine route for the Cuban delegation. Then neither of us gets what we want. So you talk to this Burnett. You talk to Burnett. Two operations. That was the deal we all agreed to. One training, My one country is more important than any deal that we made. Your country? You were born here. You've never even seen Cuba. My family had to leave everything in Cuba. Factories, theaters. <laughs> you talk like a rich man who's lost his, his wallet. But what you really lost is your humanity. And you've lost your nerve. Okay, very funny. So the guy who's playing Zamora with the very thick accent was actually born in Michigan. (laughs) And then the actor playing Vasquez, whose background was that he was born and raised in Cuba, defected later on as adult after pursuing medical school, who has a slight accent, but is speaking perfect English, and in reality was born in Puerto Rico. So I just think it's very funny that the one with the thickest accent, his character was born in America, and then in real life he was born in America. But, so I just think that's very funny. (laughs) But yes, however, at the end of that conversation, Zamora tells Vasquez that Vasquez is afraid to fight. And remember, Vasquez has experience doing this. And we learn more about his history later on, that he was actually part of the Antipatista movement that led to the Cuban Revolution. So he's been doing this quite a long time, and that's also why he kind of like scoffs, like you've never been to Cuba. And that's not to take away from being a second generation, a first generation immigrant, but I could definitely see like he hasn't lived what he and his friends lived through and what they had to live through as political prisoners, which obviously will tie into later in the episode, and having to flee and start over again, which obviously was difficult for Zamora's parents. But you can just see like there's this not even just like generational divide between them, but this ideological divide. And 
we find out later on why they're even working together because it did not make sense to me. Now, as Crockett is lying in bed reading a book, I guess lying on his sofa reading a book, we get a great overhead shot of him looking down to the salon at the same fight as dance. Now, Vasquez's friend has popped his head into the opening as Vasquez sits on the boat as it's time to meet. There's a guy I know that's looking to launder his cash. He'll call me as soon as my partner sets the deal. It'll be just Cooper and the money in an apartment all by themselves. You can take it any way you want. What's your angle in this? Once upon a time, Cooper burned me. I'm just kind of smoothing out his karma. Okay, get ready for some bad accent in one, two, three. And Miami been Betty, Betty good to me. Wow, it just gets worse the more you hear it. Oh, man. Well, let's do a little bit of digging into Victor Vesquez, shall we? Like I mentioned, he did have a politically active past in Cuba and was a political prisoner. But I'll let Zwitek say it a little bit more romantically. Victor Vesquez was a med student in Havana in 1959. He was pro-Castro and anti-Batista. When Fidel started getting chummy with the Russians, he saw the writing on the wall. Joined the resistance and spent his junior year in a Cuban prison, which for most med students is a slight improvement in lifestyle. Here's a cutie pie on the left. Is that uh, Slade? You got it. Gamma's contact with the feds. Maybe owes Vasquez a favor. But no favors from the Bureau. Well, one thing's for sure. Our old buddy Vasquez is definitely up to something. And it ain't building a new wing on his house. Yeah, and Crockett is 100% right when he's saying that something is going on here. And Castillo notices it too, because Castillo, I don't want to say refuses, but Castillo just doesn't want to pin the Petrosa murder on Vasquez. He's like, it doesn't fit the profile. And I get it that Crockett is looking to pin it on him because he knows that he's doing something, that something's amiss. But the two days also makes you think, like, why is he so adamant that it has to be two days, two days, two days, two days? Something is going on or something is prompting him to get this done and to get this money within two days. So Crockett, this time, goes to meet him, ends up on a ride, a ride that goes a little off to plan pretty early. But before we get to that, we get a little bit of Crockett's theme. So, safe to say Crockett realized early on in the van ride that after they missed the exit to his houseboat, that they were definitely not going back to the same fight as dance. And in essence, Sonny's been kidnapped. We see them take his gun. And it's actually like a very funny gif of him like turning around, giving him the gun. And you can tell he doesn't want to. And they basically say like, you'll get it back tomorrow. But tonight he's there. And we get lots of interesting costumes on this one. (laughs) I do like the little like the side lopsided Che Guevara hats that they're all wearing. But 
let's check in with Zamora and see what they're really about at this compound. The man who has been in the nightmares of every Cuban political prisoner for 25 years will be in our sights. I don't know why that clip cut. I'm so sorry. There's a lot more context to be had there. So this person that's visiting town that has struck terror into the hearts of every single political prisoner in Cuba for the past 25 years, that would be the deputy police commissioner who was in town in Miami. Now, when I was reading a synopsis online, it said diplomat. And I was like, Cuba and U.S. didn't have diplomatic relations for quite a long time. And... It was not in ITD6. However, so I think they just meant dignitary, like just an important person or just like a VIP from the country. And in this case, I guess the deputy police commissioner, well, he would be because he would 100%, 100%, 100% have close ties, especially in a communist government. So now I understand this drive a little bit more as an audience member because most people who speak up against a authoritarian regime are unfairly imprisoned and treated horribly and taken away from their families or disappeared. So I understand what this symbolizes. Furthermore, my question, they're working as like a paramilitary group, right? Like kind of just like a militia. Wouldn't they be working with the CIA? Wouldn't they be all over this? Wouldn't He's complaining that nobody cares, that the international news has given up and forgotten about the plight of Cuba. This was 1986. This was the height of the Cold War. They would have been funded by the CIA. They would have been sponsored by the CIA. So, kind of makes you question, but I guess it doesn't make for a plot point. Marina, stop breaking down the episode, like, a little too dramatically. Let's just... just forget that part of the story and get back into it because Vasquez and Zamora definitely still not seeing eye to eye and they have very different feelings on revenge. To learn a lesson I learned a long time ago. Vengeance is meaningless. Life is too brief as it is. Nonsense! The world is ready for this now. Look at El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras. Only Cuba has been forgotten by this country. And if Castro thinks that he can hide behind petty political maneuvers, La Segunda Brigada will teach him the lesson. La Segunda Brigada will only continue a cycle of violence. Oh, oh, okay. Again, I was not living in America at the time. I was a twinkle in my father's eye. But I did study up on a lot of this during my undergrad. This would have been the height of the Cold War. Cuba was all over the news. Yes, maybe to him, he's feeling like the plight of the Cuban people and the plight of the Cuban people who fled Miami. But this is also a few years after the Mariel Boatlift, when a huge influx of refugees and former political prisoners landed on American shore. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I said I would stop. So I'm going to take a breather and get my head back in the game because we have money to steal. So, again, Crockett as Burnett has been kidnapped. Now, he's privy to what's going on. He's hearing it all. So, when Zamora is about to go bust open early... Oh my God, sorry. (laughs) Bust the door open early. Oh my God, play the clip. Wait a minute. 
Vasquez wanted you to wear these masks. Come on, man, be smart. If Cooper recognizes you, he's gonna come after you. Then you're gonna put him onto me. Cooper's gonna die, man. That's smart enough for you. Uh, whoa, that was not in the plan. Also, Crockett hasn't been able to call OCB. It's been three hours since he was supposed to call, but guess he's been kidnapped. Tubbs is just counting the money. Again, there's a great gif of him kissing a wad of $10,000 bills that they had to get from Rojas's trunk. I'm not making that mistake twice. Before it got impounded into evidence, which is super risky. But Castillo was letting them know that Crockett's request for investigative funds or money that he could use for a case got denied ASAP. Like basically he put it in the morning and the afternoon he got the news, which is crazy quick. So you can definitely tell that the Fed's hand is definitely in play here and shut that down. So, hmm, interesting, 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 interesting. So as Crockett is being led up to where the meet with Cooper is about to happen, knowing that his partner is at risk, Crockett thinks very fast. He sees the car in the house. He wants to make sure that Tubbs, as Cooper, would also get out of the house. But he can't call, he can't say anything. So he comes up with a very smart idea. Cooper, wake up! There's been a change in the plan, man! Wake up! Smart, that's so genius. Also, I like that it's Crockett's return as the background music. Now, as they bust into the house, I do like there's one quick shot after they've broken the glass door where one of the gorillas or like one of the soldiers, militia members, what have you, he basically gets rid of the safety brake glass at the top just by the barrel of his gun, which I thought was very stylistically appropriate for this episode, which I really liked. So we have another shot of Zamora and his pretty awesome unibrow and the little Che Guevara hat. <laughs> Just being like, well, what happened? Where is he? And Burnett Crockett tells him like, well, we are three hours early, so I'm glad that although Crockett was not able to call, Tubbs was waiting outside, so nothing happened. And then, once again, how do people not get this? Zamora asks where Cooper's money is dealer keeps his cash in the house. Right? Like, I get it. Come on, amateur move, guys. So Crockett leads them out of the house, goes to the trunk of Cooper's car, pops it open, takes open the briefcase. Once again, the briefcase has been wired by our boy Stan Switek. They take that with them into the van. Now, as they're driving along in the panel van on what looks to be kind of like an empty stretch of highway, I forget what they say. I think it's like Route 183 in Biscayne Bay. We'll find out a little bit more. So basically, not basically, because it's very sad. So Vasquez's wife and child are being held at the compound and Zamora is using them as leverage for Vasquez to use his connections, his skills and his expertise to gain the money 
so that they can not only appease their federal contact, who they mentioned, (laughs) I wonder who the federal contact is, in order to continue to lead this resistance. And you can tell that is where this disconnect and this dislike of each other really comes from because Vasquez doesn't want to be there. He is just there for his family. However, as they're driving back in the van, one of the goons, oh, it's not even a hired goon because they're just doing this. They're not being paid, so I can't use the hired goons bit. So one of the goons throws the briefcase out of the van and says it's incriminating evidence. Crockett as Burnett is naturally PO'd by the entire situation and hypothesizes how he's going to get his payment back to his boat. You just give me my cut and let me hit the bricks. You'll get your money at the compound. Great. What am I supposed to do? Walk back to the marina with 80 grand in my pockets? Right? Like, we're just saying that a good drug dealer does not keep his money in the house. Definitely, you're not going to be keeping (laughs) your money in your pockets walking home with $80,000. Oh my god, just like overflowing with money, I guess. Yeah, and this isn't money you'd want to be taking to the bank because you're trying to launder it. You're trying to keep it off the books. So I get it. I like that also Crockett is just pushing back a bit. Like he knows this deal isn't going well. And he's with Zamora and one of his other goons while Vasquez and Slade are not having a heart to heart. But they're definitely exploring what went wrong in their friendship. I don't think I ever trusted you. What changed you, Slade? What filled you with this sickness? How about one big mouth refugee who tried to get my job taken away? It was wrong. And all I did was call you on it. Let us down at the Bay of Pigs. Slate, I used to know would have been big enough to admit it. So sentimental, Victor. That's what makes you such a mark. Your bitterness is what makes you such a fool. Uh, yeah. I don't have it in my notes, but I forget what part of the episode they explain this. But basically, Slade was supposed to provide support. Vasquez, I think was why their aerial support from the beach and just left him hanging. And Vasquez naturally complained about it. And this is why Slade is pissed. So I'm on Team Vasquez on this one. As the van is pulling up to meet Slade and Vasquez in the car, Crockett notices, yanks the wheel making the van crash into the car. Crockett runs out. Slade yells at Samora to catch him, meaning Crockett Burnett. He's a cop. And they go on this wild goose chase through the jungle. But I did take a great gif. We'll see if it's uploading. That's going to be my new catchphrase until I can find a better gif maker. Is <laughs> Check is in the mail. Gif is being uploaded to Imager. That... When Zamora's running, there's like a little kind of like rock. I want to say about like knee height. And he just jumps on it really quick. And it's just like, it's so smooth. You can just see how naturally athletic this actor is. So I was like, I was very impressed with that. That did not need to happen. First, I'm going to research the name of this actor before I forget. (laughs) But it is a really good scene in the jungle. Kind of does remind me a little bit of... um, Back in the world, 
And it also reminds me, obviously, a little bit of Glades. This was actually filmed in Virginia Key. Not anywhere too exotic, but I really like that they were able to really use this location to make it It's just so beautiful when the mist kind of just like obscures. You can just see the figures coming out. And then just as Crockett takes one of them down, he's still sneaking around and he feels a gun on his back. And it's Vasquez, who wants to explain his side of the story. Zamora has my family. My wife and my son are in the building behind the command center. The brigada will be clearing out in about an hour. They'll be left behind. Where's the brigada going? All I want is for my family to get out alive. What's this guy Slade got to do with this? Just get to my family. And Vasquez means business. He fires two shots into the ground, yells out to the group that he's seen Crockett, and you can hear them all shouting in the distance. Thereby, Crockett is on his way, ready to go, save the family. Now, he is able to get to the cabin, not without help from our crew, Tubbs and Zwitek. It is more funny that Crockett is able to take out one of the henchmen, or one of the guerrillas, one of the soldiers, I have no idea what to call them, one of the militia guys, (laughs) just kind of like with an elbow crouching on the ground, and then Tubbs is able to subdue the guy, the watch guy, outside of the door. Crockett gets in there, is able to bring them back to save them. Also, they want to be able to use the wife for a little bit of information. She has been privy to the conversations they've been having. She's been eavesdropping. So she doesn't know exactly where the limousine, remember how we talked about the deputy police commissioner, she doesn't know exactly where his limousine is or will be. But she did mention a route in Biscayne Bay. Now, the limo has already left the airport, thereby tying Vice's hands. They cannot contact the limousine without access from the Feds. And Slade is not really going to be helping Vice at this time. So Vice has to go it alone, basically stake out the route, stake out the militia group to find out where they are. Now, I will notice one thing about this limousine. First time we see it, first shot, Cuban flag is flying from the limousine. So we see a Cuban flag. Then again, we go pin up to the helicopter, which is the same one used from when Irish eyes are smiling. Then we pan back to a limousine with an American flag. And I took a gif of this. And then I also pointed to it with an arrow to show you. So Cuban flag, then American flag. Then the third one we see is the Cuban flag. So, however, for all intents and purposes, let's pretend it's 1986, I'm watching at home, and I would just notice that it's one limo. Now, although Crockett was able to meet with Tobbs and Zwitek, they still had the little pesky problem of tracking the rest of these guys down after they escaped. So once SWAT comes to help, they're able to pin down the militia 
and by following the path of the limo. Again, they cannot contact the limo. They cannot contact the person inside to help them to turn around. So they basically just have to act as if everything is going to go according to plan and then they're there to stop it. One person who does make a break for it once he gets his money, surprise, surprise, would be the federal contact Slade, but not so fast because guess who not only was a hero in our last episode, Down for the Count Part 2, he gets to be have his little hero moment as well. Jack Slade, Fed. Stan Swiatek, Vice. You're busted. And that catchy song playing in the background, well, that's Gun Law by Kane Gang. Now, I'm not really doing this scene any justice, and I do apologize again. Uh, like I mentioned nine times this episode, I was visited by the hat man when I took Benadryl to try to sleep early this week, and my <laughs> brain has not been the same ever since. <laughs> so it actually is quite like an action-filled, packed scene. And again, I really do love the filming location, and the dew and the mist really just add an element and, you know, like we've been really enjoyed our jungle action sequences, the climax of the episodes before. And I really enjoy it with this one as well. I'm just not really doing it justice. I'm pointing out the flags, the difference in the flags. But I really do appreciate that because that's a very big mix up. I wonder also if they just didn't want to fly a Cuban flag around a limousine in 1986 if it was a current like to have people think it wasn't you know like like it's not like Patria like this is my home like this is I am currently working for the communist Cuban government I'm driving around Miami so maybe that was it too but just as SWAT is finally able to round up the militia before anything has happened to the limo they're gathering all of them. They're, they got their little loudspeaker. Zamora is able to run and break off from the crowd while grabbing a grenade launcher very slyly. And he takes position on the side of the road, sees the limo, fires, misses by like a lot. <laughs> but guess who rolls out of that limo? Why, none other than Crockett himself and shoots Samora dead. So because they couldn't access the limo, they just got decoys. So that also makes sense why there's two different flags. So, but however, Crockett was rolling up in the Cuban one. As the episode ends, unfortunately, we do see that Vesquez has been shot. It looked like he was shot in the back when I was watching this episode, but it turns out he's shot in the chest. However, as we wrap up, on the scene. He's okay. He's bandaged. His wife comes over and he has great news for her. Yolanda, it's all over. And we end the episode. Vesquez has been reunited with his family who are okay, which is all he wanted. Slate has been busted and Zamora's dead. Now let's break down the episode. Now let's break this down because Surprise, surprise to nobody. You know who my number one pick is going to be? My best dressed woman is Gina looking like a million bucks in this beautiful jewel tone teal dress. Standing next to Crockett, wearing a white unlined linen blazer with a 
rich blue Henley undershirt. Both looked like a million bucks, both standing next to each other. I was like, oh, I could not be more blessed. I can do both of my best dress in one pick. Now my runner up for best dress woman, naturally it's going to be Trudy in the polka dot dress with the polka dot earrings. And then my best dress man, a runner up, is actually Tubbs looking amazing. So he gets the call. I totally forgot to mention this. I'm so sorry. This I do not know how I missed this, but I have this amazing scene of Crockett at the payphones at what looks to be like a nice trailer park or, you know, like one of those fancier trailer parks. Tubbs is in yellow suspenders with a yellow tie with his diamond earring shining, looking so good. Now I've already given away my pick for best relic. Maybe that should be a new category. Obviously, I would just pick it to be a phone every week because we get some good phone shots in this. We get Vasquez picking up his phone by his boat. We get Crockett with some car phone action. We get the payphone, and the payphone has a cute little dome top. And there's two payphones back to back, and Crockett's kind of hiding out because this is after he's escaped the first time from the compound and calls Tubbs and Zwitek to give him some backup. This is before he rescues Vasquez's family. It's when he first breaks out. Yeah, a lot of time in a lot of time in the forest this week, right? A lot of time on the compound. But this maybe this will be my new category, best relic. So best decor exterior obviously is going to be the Deerfield Estate, done up so differently from Bushido. And then the interior decor is going to be that wild bedroom. Please look at the lamps. They're like those um, library or bank lamps. My dad had one that had the green top, but these are just yellow. Then we have the blue sheets in the middle. We have the paintings on the wall. We have the neon from the hallway. It is quite a look. Now, like I did mention, I don't really have any vice tea on any of the guest stars. Nothing scandalous. I'd see, you know, some appearances on Wise Guy, some appearances on Hill Street Blue, some appearances on Nash Bridges. So it was nice that, you know, like kind of able to stay within the family. I thought that was nice. There is a little bit more about Willie Cologne, but I don't think it's anything scandalous. So, but good work by everybody, especially the accent work for the guy born in Michigan. I also like that. So his character, I guess because he just feels so deeply for the cause, he just really wants to, you know, feel more. (laughs) To be fair, like, you know, you can live in a country and not speak that country as your first language until you have to go to school. But again, if you're homeschooled, so I don't know, I don't need to be added about this, but I just thought it was so funny how thick his accent was. And the guy who had lived in Cuba until he was like 23 spoke almost flawless, slightly accented English with like perfect syntax. It's like that old Russell Peters joke where he goes to Hong Kong and he's talking to one of the locals. He's like, oh yeah, you know, me and my friend are going to go down in the store. It's like, your friend and I. (laughs) Or Germans are like that too, or the Dutch for like their grammar is better than yours. You're like, okay, you know what? I'm done here. So as we wrap up this episode, I just want to thank you all for supporting, for listening, for liking, subscribing, for bearing with me today when I'm a little bit low energy. Once again, maybe don't take Benadryl to sleep. Let's find other ways. (laughs) It was something like I was up for like 20 hours one day and just like I couldn't get to sleep a day after and I had to wake up early. So I was like, hey, let me just, let me just take... To Bendril, yeah, bad idea. So it's really hard for me to find sleep aids that aren't 
addictive or that aren't alcoholic or that don't bring the hat man to me. It wasn't even the hat man. It was just this crazy ass dream. I don't even want to explain it. It was basically kind of the plot of one of my favorite books I haven't read in about five years. I don't want to give away the plot of this book, but basically I was doing crimes for people (laughs) and I didn't know I was doing crimes. Like, killing people crimes so uh i'm trying to explain the best way that like we'll not get this podcast flagged flagged or me flagged but yeah it was just a very interesting dream and then it was like reuniting with high school people but talking as if we're still in high school like oh so and so is in like your sister's class i'm like i'm closer to 40 than i am closer to 18 like i don't know what's going on So, uh, yeah, I'm going to find some nice natural sleep aids or just, you know, live a healthier lifestyle. Who knows? (laughs) But thank you again for bearing with me. As we wrap this episode, let me end with my favorite quote, and we'll see you next time. Show me a dealer who keeps cash in his safe, and I'll show you one who pays his taxes. As much as I'd like to say that, I'm sure I knew a lot of people in high school who kept their money under their mattress. But for big time, yes, please keep it anywhere. (laughs) Don't commit crimes, but if you're going to commit crimes, do it smart. Wink, wink. <laughs> That's the vice and easy way. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.